Mic on. Okay, there we go. We'll start from the top. Good morning. Uh, my name is Julie, and I am not the pastor here at St. John's. I usually find myself back there um, sitting among you, and uh, but it's a real pleasure to be able to be here with you and to give Pastor Tom and Bill Gross a uh, weekend off. We saw where uh, Pastor Tom is. He's with the youth, and Bill Gross is recovering from surgery, so um, I got pulled in to do this. So... If this is your first Sunday, please come back. Uh, next Sunday will hopefully be a lot uh, more normal. And also, thank you, because we've got a lot of people filling in this week. Uh, we've got Wendy filling in for Pammy back on the, the slides and the tech, and we've got uh, Ted helping out. Jennifer's doing two services of music. We've got um, Wendy and Al Zimmerman uh, helping out with the behind-the-scenes st stuff for for our church, and so if things just don't seem quite like they usually are, forgive us. Uh, we're just gonna try to do the best we can, but I, everything went well the first service, right, Ted? So we got through it, so um, be patient with us. As we prepare ourselves for worship, let's take a moment of silence to let God enter our hearts. Be still. Great and almighty Father, thank you for your goodness. You know our hearts, our hurts, and you become our hope. Center our hearts and minds in fellowship with you and help us to hear your voice today. Amen. <clears throat> so for the last several Sundays, we've progressed through the Gospel of Mark considering ways that we can live as disciples of Christ in our world. Even though we experience a world filled with sin and with hardship, the hope found in Jesus brings encouragement and peace to the believer. Today, we are continuing in Mark, and as you may remember, a couple of days ago, we joined together for Ash Wednesday, as a time to reflect on our sins and we burned them and it was an opportunity to feel encouragement as we come closer to Easter when we celebrate Christ's resurrection. During the season of Lent, we reflect in earnest on the life of Jesus and the days leading up to his crucifixion when he was teaching his disciples and sharing stories so all could know the goodness that comes with putting our complete faith in God. We equate Lent sometimes with a time of sacrifice, giving up chocolate or swearing or some other thing that has a hold on us. Sometimes Lent becomes a time of deepening our commitment, more time volunteering or committing to doing a devotional. So it's no coincidence that what we're going to study today in the Bible helps us to consider the eternal reward that comes from giving up what binds us to this world in favor of discipleship. Today, as we continue in Mark, we will read a story that asks us to contemplate our willingness to sacrifice and God's desire for our full commitment. So let's begin with the word. Please join me by opening up your Bible um, if you're at home, go grab your Bible. 
Uh, if you are here, uh, the Bibles in the pews are yours to use, and if you need a Bible, feel welcome to take one home. So uh, we're going to Mark 10, 17 to 31. Now, we've had a number of passages in the previous series that shared the work of Jesus' ministry. There are parables and miracles. We learned about the sowing of seeds and the calming of the storm and giving life back to a girl and how a woman reached out and touched Jesus and she was healed. Today we continue in Mark, and we're looking for those Easter eggs. We're kind of in a new series now, and for those of you not familiar with this, this concept, Easter eggs are signs or messages that unveil something maybe not immediately apparent. I know in our house, we're often watching Marvel movies, looking for the Easter eggs, what are little hints of, of uh, stories to come. So as you find your way to Mark 10, 17, I wanted to share a fun fact that I learned. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, and it was written before Matthew, Luke, and John. And this specific passage that we're going to read today, it's retold in both Matthew and Luke, Matthew 19 and Luke 18. So if you get tired of listening to me, you can check that and, and read the passage in another place. <clears throat> so as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now the book of Luke describes this man as a ruler, but Mark only describes him as a man. I'm reading this and I'm thinking that this man comes up to Jesus after a long day of ministry and he and the disciples were probably packing up the mule and getting ready to think about where they were going to go for dinner for the day. And this guy comes up and he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? And I have to flip my page. Okay, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. So this is a sufficient answer. This might be a short answer. God is good. The Old Testament has given us the commandments to follow. Teacher, he declares, I've kept all these since I was a boy. The guy is basically saying, I've followed all the rules. I'm good to go, right? Well, what happens? Jesus looks at him, and he loves him. I love this part, because Jesus might have looked at the guy in an appraising way to better understand him. By this point, Jesus might have been a little bit leery, because the Pharisees and the Sadducees would try to trick Jesus. It may have been that Jesus looked deep inside the man's heart and understood the real motive behind the question. Of course, Jesus, he shows grace. He looks at the man and he loves him. He loves him. He doesn't get annoyed. He doesn't say, uh, we're uh, closing up here. He loves him. And this alone is an example of what it means to be a disciple. So Jesus looked upon him and loved him and said, One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, 
follow me. It's here that Mark discloses that this man had great wealth. And what's more, the man found security in his own wealth. If he was asked for three words to describe himself, the man may have said, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I'm a man of means. Jesus' Jesus's answer points to the essence of this man. The man is attached to what he has stored up in this world and lacks the heart to give it up, all up, for God. Only hearing that Jesus asks him to give up his possessions, he misses the invitation to follow Jesus. The man went away sorrowful, perhaps muttering like, what, he wants me to sell my Mercedes Benz and I just put a pool in and now I gotta give up my house. Is Jesus crazy? But Jesus is not crazy. Jesus sees that the man finds great security in his wealth. And Jesus wants the man to find security in God. Again, the man has a choice and chooses his possessions over following Jesus. He chooses that of this world in favor of the eternal world. The story continues. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The man left before hearing the rest of Jesus' answer. Was discipleship for the man a simple business transaction? I follow the rules, therefore I inherit eternal life. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. They said to each other, then who can be saved? <clears throat> who? Every one of us. We have the advantage of knowing the rest of the story that Jesus came to save us all. Now, in the moment when this was actually happening, they didn't have the story retold in Mark and Matthew and Luke. The disciples didn't know what was in store. So let's see how Jesus answers his disciples. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. We can say that together. All things are possible with God. This is what Jesus had been demonstrating in all the stories we've been studying in the Gospel of Mark. What seems impossible for us is always possible for God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The word of the Lord. 
So Jesus assures us the sacrifice is not easy. It's not going to be easy for this man. It wasn't easy for the disciples. It's not easy for us. And the reward will be greater than our imagination. His sacrifice wasn't easy. Jesus' sacrifice wasn't easy. Yet look how we still benefit 2,000 years later. As Pastor Tom helped us to see last week, you know your sacrifice will be rewarded, but you don't yet know what receiving back hundredfold means. Those who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, whenever I hear this passage, sometimes I think about how at a rock concert, we're all wanting to be kind of in the front row of that rock concert. That's the desirable place to be. But some, for some reason here at church, we sometimes gravitate more toward the back. And so I always think that maybe the people in the back know that the last will be first. And because everything else is off this week, we thought we would start communion from the back up to the front just to demonstrate this. And I am just kidding. <laughs> so again, Jesus tries our conventional wisdom to place on our hearts an ecclesiastical riddle. The first will be last and the last will be first. This means whatever race we're trying to win in this life may not be the race that will grant us eternal life. The man in this story wants to be first in wealth. He wants to be number one on the biblical list of Forbes wealthiest, whatever that was back then. So where will all this wealth get him? Does it guarantee him a front row seat in heaven? Will he be taking all that wealth with him? No, this man who is devoting himself to earning money has put all of his faith and trust that accumulating great wealth will give him the good life. But the security it may give him in this life puts him at the back of the line in the next. The man is so focused on following the rules, he lost sight of the bigger picture. And there's an Easter egg in the Old Testament that forecasts what happens to Mark. If you look at Psalm 52, verse 7, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. Psalm 52 wants us to flourish in the house of God, ending by saying, And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Now Jesus had answered the man, no one is good except God alone. Jesus wants the man to see that he will have greater security if he gives it all away and follows him. And Peter acknowledges this is what he and the disciples have done. Now this may also sound familiar to what we heard last week in Mark. Mark 8, 35 for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. <clears throat> Jesus gives us the freedom and the choice to turn from that which this side of eternity tells us we must have and to choose eternal life instead. Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me, put me first, Put me and God ahead as the top priority in your life. And as I'm standing here, I know for certain that I need that reminder too. I'm guilty of squeezing God out of my life with my own busyness. 
Oh, I was going to read the Bible before going to work this morning, but because I'm running late, eh, sorry, God. Or, eh, I want to go to church today, but I also want to catch up on some sleep. Sorry, God. Or, I know I should give more to charity instead of spending it on myself. Sorry, God. <clears throat> or, I've heard that they need volunteers at church, and they've asked a few times, but I don't really want to give my time right now. Sorry, God. This shows us why it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. If you were the rich man, could you just give it all away to follow Jesus? Not only could you, would you? The man hesitates to trust that if he gives it all away, he will gain so much more. The sacrifice that you make in this world will be regained plus some in eternal life. Follow Jesus and invest in eternal life. Now, we don't know what happens to this man after he walks away that day. Perhaps later the disciples remember this encounter because in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Did the man not only walk away from Jesus that day, but walk away from believing? Did the man throw up his hands, feeling that what Jesus was asking him was impossible? Do we sometimes throw up our hands, feeling that what God is asking us is impossible? For us, it may not be giving up our wealth. It may be something else that, we, that has a hold on us that gives us our security, a security that could be better found in God. It's different for each of us because only you and God know your motives. It is between you and God as to what you need to lay down and what gets in your way of following Jesus. What is the world telling you will make you happy that you follow instead of Jesus? And this is about radically following Jesus. This makes our believing more than just following the rules to go to heaven. It's more than just giving everything away. This is about exchanging one life for another. Now, if you were here for Ash Wednesday, you also heard the verse from Matthew. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Do not store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where, where moths and vermin, but store up for yourselves, sorry, your treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will will be also. See, this message is peppered all throughout the Bible, if you look. There are these Easter eggs that are reinforcing this over and over again. This tells us that disposing of what burdens that make us feel unworthy to do God's work is this is about that are not are not worthy. This is about standing up to the devil and whatever his hold is on you and saying no. You're not going to have me today because I'm going to follow Jesus. I mean, there are many times where I absolutely feel unworthy. I don't know if I feel worthy of being up here today. However, it's possible <laughs> because God's giving us the strength. 
This is why Jesus died on the cross for us and for every one of us. He died so we could leave our burdens and follow him. So we could be forgiven of our sins that will keep piling up in this world and follow a path that leads to his world. Knowing that all of our burdens are lifted, we can get back to serving one another. Several years ago, I met a woman who was just fabulous at this message, and she centered her ministry on being a Sunday person in a Monday world. Her radical discipleship carried the message from Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And I tell you what, there have been many times out there when I'm being in the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday world, that this has comforted me. I'm working for God, not for my boss, not for anyone else. You know, this sounds especially doable as we sit here in church, surrounded by our brothers and sisters in Christ. In here, it's easy for us to say, I'll pray for you, or ask someone, could you please pray for me? We share this commonality and a security when we're in this place. I mean, this is a safe place for us. But following, by following Jesus, we carry the safety that we're feeling in here, out there. We leave here as our Sunday selves, and we follow the ways of Jesus on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. My friend wanted us to see our colleagues, even the ones that are difficult, as God sees them. Being a Sunday person in a Monday world means loving them as we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. It means having the hope we experience in here, out there. And in God, this is possible. He will sustain us with the strength we need. And for the sacrifices we make here, he will reward us. We just have to choose it. Amen.
journey back.